Welcome to Innovating Music. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Thanks for being part of the family. You're now in our final three episodes, which we're going to share with the new podcast, Creative Innovators. So you'll find that at creativeinnovatorspodcast.com, and we'll share more information at the end of this episode. We are in year five. Yes, year five of this podcast. Time flies when you're having great fun with great guests, and we're bringing some back. We had Jay Gilbert on recently. We are now have brought back Dmitry Vietza, who not just runs Rock, Paper, Scissors, but he also runs Music Tectonics. So this was a first-time conference this past October, and given the whipsaw in not just the music innovation space, but in the conference space, I thought it'd be great to bring Dimitri back to talk about all the change, changes happening in music technology, but also the changes happening in the conference business and how he has swung into an online presence, created online webinars, conference sessions, collaboration sessions, and has really risen to a leadership role in helping bridge people together in the work they're doing now in music innovation. So enjoy this episode, and we're glad to have Dimitri back with us. To me, this is the most interesting time because it's taking the assumptions under most of what we do and has flipped everything on its head. So since we got together, you launched a great live conference, which uh, Music Tectonics was last October? Yes, October 2019. 2019. And you had a fire in your backyard. So you were almost (laughs) dealing with the ultimate physical challenge of a physical (laughs) thought leadership event where you had to find a new hotel, move everything, move the food with less than 24 hours notice. Given what's happened in 2020, I have not thought about that fire in weeks. (laughs) It's been several (laughs) weeks since I've thought about that. Luckily, we weren't actually in a fire, but because the fire broke out, a brush fire um, in the Los Angeles area broke out um, in the neighborhood where our event was set to happen. And uh, we found out literally the day before we were in LA doing our pre-conference on the other side of town, which was on purpose, and then found out about this fire. And we quickly had to realize that this fire wasn't going to be um, taken care of and put out by the time our event started in the ne- you know the next day. So um, we were in our, our venue and our official hotel were both in the um, evacuation zones. And both of the venues were kind of like, well, you could probably come here. And we were like, mm, I don't think that's the best idea. So we had to we had to pivot quickly. And uh, it worked out well. It was great. Um, so I have nothing to complain about. I mean, we ended up uh, feeling great, doing a great 400 plus person event without, other than that, without a hitch, you know, there was an exhibitor or two whose stuff didn't get across town in time. Um, but, uh, but the programming, the speakers, the attendees, lots of enthusiasm, great energy. There hadn't been anything like it in Los Angeles before. So I think the people were really excited about, um, about having something like that there. Cause there's such a pivotal, uh, kind of, uh, overlap between music, tech, gaming, content, TV, film, all in LA. And I think the music industry for a while was moving away from LA. Now is all moving back. In fact, there's several conferences that used to be much heftier 
for music in L.A. that left L.A. because L.A. doesn't tend to go to stuff, or at least mm. that was the reputation. But but we're almost now living through the digital fire again, so that that folks like you who have a thought leadership community and event are suddenly going, crap, what we were doing live, which includes convening around music technology opportunities, people meeting each other, people working together, that suddenly the physical part went poof. And then you've needed and you've taken the opportunity to now launch weekly events, um, change your podcast out, change, you have a whole company under this, Rock, Paper, Scissors, where you're now having to represent people into the digital wild. So You've been doing that, but now everything is 100% work from home, create from home. How has that changed what you do and what you've done with Music Tectonics? Well, it's actually been really exciting for us because even though we're not quite sure what's going to happen in October 2020, we still have a hotel reserved in L.A., actually Marina Del Rey this year. And we will be excited to do it if our community is excited to do it. And that has a little bit to do with the government, but it has more to do with what people's appetite for being in person in a group of four to five hundred, things like that. So we'll have to see. But other than that, I mean, we've stuck with what our mission is, which is to kind of like build a hub for this music technology community, which is really about forward thinkers, innovators who want to do new and interesting things in the music space. And we had a unofficial music tech meetup that had been planned to take place at South by Southwest. And our chief operating officer, Cheryl Woodhouse, said, so what? Let's do it anyway. And our new, our manager of new business, Jade Preboy, actually ended up doing four events in a row immediately. So everybody all of a sudden realized this was getting canceled. The whole live music industry started to fall like dominoes. And Jade was organizing our, uh, our first online meetups. We immediately pivoted that into what we call Weekly Webs Day, which is a every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern mini panel with a chance for people to actually interact because that's part of what we really like out of these live events, conferences, and things like that is the opportunity to actually meet people, see people face-to-face. And so we really wanted to make that happen in how we pivoted with what was going on in the world. So we're going to talk about the ways that music innovation and technology has been changing but let me let me stick with the question of how do people actually I mean I, we're recording this in June of 2020 we're a few months into the hyper zoomization of living with your with your face to face and close up showing your um, apartment home a home office or unmade bed that um, that we've gotten this whole getting used to being face to face but we're also talking to these boxes with someone's name on it how do you and I know some ways you've been doing it, but how do you get people to actually communicate and collaborate in this hyper-personal, impersonal set of platforms? I mean, I think it actually starts with curation, the decisions that you make about what the topics are, how you're framing the topics, what the questions are, and who you're choosing to talk. There are lots of people who are used to being on panels who actually aren't that good at it. And they're used to a lot of name dropping. They're used to a lot of kind of like high-level stuff um, that sort of is already common knowledge. And so the good thing about being focused on innovation is you get to mix in the big time players with some free thinkers. And as a result, you can kind of push the conversation forward more. So start, start with really good curation. Start with thinking about, well, what are the types of topics and voices that you want 
to put out there? And then what are the types of questions you want to ask them? And, and, and are they going to be willing and find out in advance, are they going to be willing to go there with you or are they going to be monitored by their PR person and really only be able to say <laughs> the same stuff that gets released in press releases? So really what you do there is you end up, if, if that's all you get, you end up attracting people who are basically looking for work or looking for partnerships. Um, and they're really just there because they want to connect with that person. So then the next part becomes really important, which is how do you actually allow people to connect? How do you, how do you allow um, uh, relationships, friendships, uh, professional uh, networking, and, and, and business to be conducted between those folks? It's really hard to do with Zoom. Obviously, a lot of the traditional um, industry events that do Zoom or, or other webinars really are focused on the webinar. It's a one-to-many presentation, which is the old model. It's, it's the same thing that's changed entirely in all forms of media, including video gaming and music and, and so forth, where it's no longer about one creative person or one smart person talking to everybody else. So what we've been trying to do is, is push Zoom to its limits of letting people interact with each other. So we do a panel that's one to many. We do the Q&A right in the chat. So even if we don't get to the answers on camera, we're still getting to some of the users answering, you know, the, 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 the community answering each other. And then the third thing is we leave a lot of time, not only for Q&A, but also for actual networking where anybody who's in the room, because we've already verified everybody. Well, you were there, I think, on our first <laughs> <laughs> Our first web taught me so much <laughs> about what not the, well not to the, let happen. We let, had it uh, not let people change their names in Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was part of the torching of the event. Right. Yeah. So we learned quickly about Zoom bombers. I haven't heard as much about them as much, but we now require verification with LinkedIn URLs to, to, to verify somebody really is. And if they don't have a company URL that we recognize, then we actually have to, we force them to message us through their LinkedIn account. So we know they really are who they are. Um, and that's, that's helped tremendously. But w once we got past that piece, and ever since then, we always let as many people as want to inter introduce themselves on camera to do so. We also encourage everyone to post their email, their LinkedIn, their URLs, their socials in the chat as well. And then we share the chats. We've actually just released the Music Tectonics app uh, early summer 2020. And so we actually have an app where we're posting the chats, we're posting the video. It's a community app. So it's kind of like a vanilla white label uh, Facebook, but just for the music technology community. So we're also driving people to go find their um, additional content like the transcripts, uh, the chat transcripts there. So who? speaking of tech, then what tech did you choose for your app? We're using something called Disciple, which actually came out of the out of a music uh, a music company. Um, although that's not why we chose it, we chose it just because it had the features that we we wanted. But it's totally white label, so um, we've already ch you know changed the URL to app.musictectonics.com, and we are getting approval in both the iOS and um, Android stores. So we will actually have native mobile apps in both cases, which will mirror what happens on the web app as well. Excellent. And so no, nobody will know it's Disciple after once that all happens. Though it's always good to promote the folks that you have as your vendors who you enjoy. Well, I uh, pay a pretty penny for it, so <laughs> I'm hoping they'll excellent. promote us at some point. <laughs> excellent. Well, so part of it is though a lot of people are looking for new tools to collaborate in. So you've had some that have been around for a while, and I think some of the story of this technology change is, in terms of innovation in music is some people were standing there with tools going, why does no one come? And suddenly people are there after sitting around for so right. long. 
Uh, but other folks, it's like, well, they had this in their back pocket. It was working for their company. Now they see other people have that need, and they're scrambling to bring out or enhance new tools. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's, to me, some of the story of all this. But I'm here to hear your story about all of this. So you have been then able to be kind of um, – I won't say Switzerland because that implies neutrality. You've been a, a booster for folks who are looking at enhancing what they're doing with technology and this shift to work from home, create from home, communicate well, from home. Yeah, one of the reasons we started Music Tectonics, you know, my 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 daily gig is rock paper scissors, which, as you know, is a music tech PR firm. We do uh, you know publicity, press relations for a lot of different music technology companies. But we actually wanted to start Music Tectonics to give it a little bit of a Switzerland feel and to always try to balance not just promoting the companies that we work with, but the entire kind of what we call the macro system of everybody that's in that space. And one other piece of that, as I mentioned before, is both the startup in innovator side and some of the companies that are already well established and really trying to build a bridge there. So in that sense, we do have to play kind of a neutral role. And you also had done that at South by Southwest for a while that you created meetups that were letting people find each other. Uh, And in many ways, that's been a bit of a I shouldn't say a gap because you've had, you know, Brian Sisk, who's been on the show and other folks who've got other regional approaches, but you're trying to create kind of a broader space. Yeah, we definitely were aiming for something that was national, that could be multi-city, could be international as well, and um, really uh, uh, trying to to not just focus. Because I've noticed I didn't want to like compete with other existing uh, events and so forth that are already out there. Some of them lean heavily on the innovation side. Some of them lean heavily on a regional base, and some of them are very like music industry, major label, indie label, publishers, sync. All those things already existed. So we were thinking, well, you know what? Let's try to put it all together in a in as balanced a way as possible. So you are working from home, yes? Yes, my team of 17 are all working from home within a couple of miles of each other. And you are in the hotbed of music. You mean location-wise? We're in Bloomington, Indiana, which is midway between Nashville and Chicago. So though our conference is in LA and none of our clients are in Bloomington, uh, this is where we found an amazing overpopulation of extremely smart, highly educated people who are interested in both music and innovation. And to me, that's one of the interesting times right now of music innovation is that you can do things from anywhere to create a new company, a new business, a new tech. And now you can really create together and connect up because so many people are thinking of things and working from their homes. Uh, What are you seeing then as to what people are doing and where is music innovation now coming from in this pandemic era? Well, I mean, I think you, you touched on it earlier in the conversation. We we are seeing how are people reacting to uh, self-isolation, lockdown, um, not being able to perform, all those types of things, remote work. We're seeing a lot of interesting happens things happen. The first one, of course, is on live streaming, where live streaming I've thought of as a, a bit of a stepchild of the music industry because people were perfectly happy going to actual shows. And live streaming does one thing to create access, um, which could be both in terms of geographic location, it could be in terms of price, it could be even something like having disabilities or not liking smoke or alcohol or any of those things. It creates access, but a lot of the stuff 
that people wanted from concerts had more to do with who they were, their identity, meeting people in person, dancing, falling in love, getting intoxicated. All of those things go together um, with how people experience concerts traditionally. And so live streaming never really took off. It felt like it was a, a, a very poor facsimile of the real experience. But now that we're in lockdown, people, I think, are realizing that, A, there's nothing else to do. If you're a performer, you have to figure out something, right? And B, that it's not the same thing, but it is a way to perform. And so it's, it's like any artistic endeavor where your, your mentor, your teacher, or even your mind, you decide to put limitations on yourself as a way of expressing another aspect of creativity to say, all right, what if I work within these limitations? How far can I push creativity here? And so I think as a result, people are getting really creative with it. And, um, you know, there's live streaming platforms. You kind of hinted at this earlier. There are live streaming platforms that have existed for you know a decade but they never really saw traction all of a sudden they're starting to take off or people that are in parallel universe in terms of what their value proposition is what their company offers offers or what they're trying to do for the world is right next door and they're like oh let's turn this into live streaming so you're seeing um that come uh you know to turn into a lot of opportunity for uh innovation so some interesting things have come out as a variety. Uh, I mean, as a as a uh, as a result of that, and one of them is the variety of ways in which to monetize that, which we could get into. Uh, one of them is uh, the reemergence of kind of a conversation that was existing in, in digital music, you know, five and ten years ago about ubiquity versus obscurity, and and <laughs> how you approach live streaming as a result. And, and, and that to me, that conversation came up when, when social media first started getting big, when digital, when streaming services started getting big, and we can talk about that. And then the other thing is just habits, you know, like will these habits stay? I think there are new habits being formed right now. I don't think once it's safe to go out, I don't think concerts are over. I don't think people are like, oh yeah, live streaming is so much better than going to a festival or a, a bar or a club or a theater. Um, but I do think people might say now in the future, well, I was going to go to this show, but it's really too far away, so I think I'll live stream it. Or, well, there's no shows that I want to go to this weekend, but there is this cool thing happening on Fortnite, and I think I'll, I'll just dive into it that way, and I'll engage in music in that way, too. So I think there are habits that are being formed right now that will change what happens. They, it won't be a 100% shift from real concerts to live streaming, but it will be a shift that stays with people past this. Well, it also opens an opportunity for a different type of windowing, so that, you know, it's almost like we've assumed that we've got scarcity of a live concert. And then we have a stream that, of course, you can't really hold back and it's going to be coming at you no matter what. And if not, it'll be pirated. And now there's the opportunity to kind of provide other VIP delivery, create artificial scarcity through a live stream, you know, something that, yeah, you probably can screen capture it if you know what you're doing, which is a lot of people. But then there's the, you know, the opportunity to have a custom delivery without having to go on the road. So are, are, what type of companies are you finding that are kind of slicing that pie in different ways? Yeah, so we did a mini series on the Music Tectonics podcast. We usually issue things once a week on Tuesdays, but uh, right when this hit, I, I really wanted to dive into live streaming and remote collaboration. So we did like 
back-to-back interviews like every day of the week. And so we ended up with several in a row. Um, so for uh, for live streaming, we interviewed um, You Now, which is a platform that some people would kind of say is similar to Twitch, but it's smaller. It's got its own flavor. And it's each of these platforms has its own kind of set of rituals and etiquette and ways to monetize, ways to engage, and uh, ways to build audiences. You Now, um, we also had... Emma McGann, who's an artist that's been on you now for quite a while, talk about what her strategies are there. And she really helped me see how within a platform, it's kind of like a social media platform where you have to get to know how it works. Don't think of this as a stage that you're getting on, but you actually have to understand how people are engaging, how creators and performers are collaborating across from each other and what the features of a given platform are that make that performance unique on that platform. So for example, on you now, obviously there's this ability to um, tip through the use of these type of emojis and animations and things like that. Um, and so she integrates into her performances as any successful you now and Twitch musicians are do of calling out performers when they tip or when they engage, when they show up and so forth from stage, they can use the chat to ask for, um, you know, song requests to make requests, um, on you now, you can even bring a couple of your audience members quote onto stage on stage so that you can have like a little dialogue. So you start to get a little bit of that like VIP experience right there within the performance. But we also talked to a newer platform called Topeka, which is at Topeka.live where they actually bring, um, more of a VIP experience where it's almost like you find artists that you like and you can actually have them do a house concert just for your family via Zoom. Or you can have them serenade your, your, your partner for their birthday or anniversary. Or you can set up a chat for somebody's birthday where you say, hey, would you like to talk about guitars with my partner because they're really into the same kind of guitar that you play. And so there are those kind of VIP things as well. And then there's companies like Stage It, which has been around since 2009, pretty much had decided to, to bring the auras in for quite a while. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they had grossed something like $500,000 in 2019. But in the first three weeks of COVID lockdown, they had already seen $850,000 rolling gross. So, um, you, you know, you have all, all sorts of different, different platforms and each of them is a little, little different, you know, a, cl- a company that we work with is bands in town, which is not a live streaming platform. It's a concert discovery platform, but they quickly adapted to help all the artists who are having to pivot to live stream to help them discover live streams. They did that by starting their own Twitch channel and using that as a way to focus on, um, up and coming artists and help them get audience. But then they also added a watch live. So now you can get notifications either via their app or email when a band that you like is planning to do a live stream concert, you can find out about it just with a notification. So there's, there's a wide variety of stuff happening there. There's more, I could go on and on. <laughs> I know. And I think your team helped us get Fabrice to be on this show fairly recently. So that's been uh, very helpful as well. He actually came and talked to our students in class, which was a really great addition. And actually for us, so I'm teaching a hundred something students in the term that's just wrapping up. And one thing that's been interesting is that people now have flexible time to be able to speak to each other and connect. Uh, And it, it seems like that's been an accidental benefit for what's been going on is you've been able to bring voices together Mm. that may have been tangled up in travel or projects. And now they've got time to actually that, I think that's Talk. a really good point, Gigi. I think that people 
um, are frequently too busy. There's too much going on, and all of us feel pretty busy during this. At least those of us who are in the in the working world, as opposed to maybe the education world. I don't know how it is in terms of students. They may feel like they're going crazy because they have so much free time. But in work, <laughs> they I mean, don't have so much free time. <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> that is not what's <laughs> happening. It's almost the opposite. Yeah. So I think uh, everyone's having that, right? It's like you you get this, this your schedule changes, and there's no excuses not to do more, and you end up doing more as a result. And so that's definitely what I'm seeing. But, you know, I used to use this kind of hack for business networking in the music industry, which is show up in a city and say, I'm here for two days. Can you meet with me? That worked so much better than just being in the same city as somebody all the time because it's like, yeah, sure, I'll see you at some point. But just showing up. And now with the Zoom world for music industry networking and so forth, you actually do increase access. There's less excuse. There's less commute time. And people are more, I think, more open to connecting. Now, we may be coming on the tail end of that. By the time this podcast airs, maybe nobody ever wants to do a Zoom ever again. But I think there is something there about there's there's kind of a leveling of the of the playing field that's happening as a result of the everybody being at remote work all of a sudden there's no more there's no more um, front door to go through everybody has the same this the same internet well not everybody I shouldn't say any but everybody because not everybody has the same internet access but there is certainly a little bit of a of a leveling there I think but yes and no so I would contest I mean, we we were talking before we started the podcast itself that this is actually a really good and awful time for that so. If you are not in a community or in a socioeconomic where you have access to technology to uh, and, and don't necessarily know, I mean, part of it, there's almost a clutter of stuff. I think the past few weeks, I could have readily gone to about five digital conferences a week going on. True. Some at the same time. I'm speaking at some of them. But how would you know? It's almost like the algorithms are helping push to you what's available. So if you're not not in the human ecosystem to know about music tectonics or about the Amplify Music conference that you helped us with back in April. That if you didn't know it was happening and weren't in the in in the in group or in the connected group, I mean I keep talking to my own students about this is they could walk into umpteen conferences and conversations now, but how would they know about them? And I do think that this is a grand time if you've got microphones at home and a computer at home and have the economic freedom to go to stuff and um, and have a decent web connection. But if you don't, it's almost like the world is happening without you and you're not going to be able to get into that space. Um, are, you, are you seeing uh, changes in the actual innovating side that are being accelerated by all these being con- people being connected? Or what are you seeing as to kind of the pre-launch stage of, of sort of the creation uh, side of tools and, yeah, and the I'm, community you I'm going to push back a little bit because I agree that you absolutely cannot assume that everybody has the same access, right? You might not have a good enough computer. You might not have good enough internet. You might not have enough privacy to actually do a business type That's uh, a event big one. and so forth. All of those things are totally legitimate. But, you know, we're working, Music Tectonics is working in a B2B space. Business to business, music and technology networking, uh, knowledge sharing, and so forth. And what I'm seeing, I think, is more diversification of who's attending our online events, I think, both in terms of parts of the country, international, 
and uh, and probably there's some socioeconomic stuff there as well that you know I don't know I don't I can't assume one way or the other but my hunch is because of the diversity that we're seeing I mean we have people joining from you know from from India from you know um, Africa from all over the place and as a result it makes me think even though you may or may not know right there's an in group or an out group or whatever in terms of getting access to the events if you find out about them it's automatically just as cheap for them to attend almost relatively as somebody in the United States versus spending $2,000 on a plane oh my ticket gosh. versus oh, $2,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. on a hotels. So all of a sudden you're like, well, will I go to an event like music tectonics in LA that'll cost me $5,000 by the time you all said and done, or will I spend, you know, $75 on an online event? Um, I mean, it's day and night, right? Absolutely. And that's where I find this all really interesting. My travel budget <laughs> is now not spent this year right. because I'm not, I mean, I didn't go to South by, I haven't gone to four other conferences in the meantime, I wasn't supposed to be home right now. So it, it to me, that's really interesting in terms of a lack of having to spend to get in the game as to meeting people. Um, I might not, though, have the access to other people's money for stuff, and that could be a longer conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I do find the real interesting change, and I'll talk about this in a second in a related space, is we now have some instant globalization. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the fact that I might be a local artist that you may not know of in another country and suddenly someone can come to a streaming concert and discover you, but I'm finding in the music education space, which has a lot of innovation around it, there are people who had local businesses who've now gone global. And the barriers that are geography, in some cases, have gone foot and gone away. So if I might have had a proprietary space in my community to bring a unique technology of music to my local community, I now have had to suddenly put it online. And I'm finding so many companies that are in that space who are suddenly going, I have a global audience. I have an instant. I had no idea. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I'm. That's what we're talking about in terms of this remote work kind of leveling leveling the the, the playing field a bit because all of a sudden everybody has access to everybody and you know whereas before it's like oh am i going to do a zoom call are we going to deal with these time zone changes to do this demo to find out about this app or this platform and now it's like well that's what everyone's doing so you know there's no there's no resistance to setting up those those video calls with with people and and going back to what you were saying about uh, uh you know uh, other ways in which uh, the, the, the field is being leveled or, or not, I feel like even before COVID hit, we were seeing a filling in of the, of the music tech market. You're seeing more startups who, just because of the evolution and the, the maturation of certain tools, everything from developing languages to platforms that allow you to build platforms on top of platforms, you're seeing more kind of innovative, smaller startups emerging to the point where they can actually go to market. And they're not just little features, but they're full on concepts. And they're now the ones that are interacting with the types of creativity that's kind of exploding as everybody has more free time or me time um, are really interesting. There's a, there's a whole new interest in creator tools, tools for people who make music, video, and other types of quote content. I know people sometimes hate these terms, creator and content and so forth. But um, 
for you know they're a little bit more generic because it's not just happening in music and so you're seeing tools that are addressing issues like monetization production remote collaboration analytics all those types of things that are specifically for kind of a diversity of creators and some people um, who may not have been able to actually make music with more traditional tools or I shouldn't say wouldn't able to, but maybe weren't drawn to, or for whatever reason, their particular skill set didn't really match with what tools are available. All of a sudden, they're getting new tools available. There's the ability with um, companies like AudioBridge, which is like having a multi-track uh, recorder on your phone, or SoundStorming, which is like a social media uh, music app, like if Instagram was meant for music, where you can get ideas and brainstorm and collaborate with other artists, things like that. So there's there are, I think, these tools that are emerging that that you know in the past would have had to come from much bigger companies they would have come from silicon valley or new york city major cities and now they're starting you're starting to see them emerge from other parts of the the country in the world and in some ways that it's almost a different level of specialist somewhere in between I, I'm, i've been seeing this a lot where people are expecting well i'm pretty smart i should be able to figure this tool out and suddenly be able to produce my professional level content i think people some people are saying oh, crap, <laughs> there is sophistication to this, and it is over my head. And I'm finding some of my students, for example, are getting hired in to actually be that professional live stream videographer, coordinator, right. cleanup person. So so the, the level of tools have come to the average creator can use some of them. But the people are now beginning to dig into the how in the world do I clean up my audio from a live stream? How do I, um, you know, understand what I can do with the limitations of what I have or make everything sound? You know, we're talking about remote creation. How do we create together? And that it's not just a I push a button and suddenly everything's fabulous. Um, but a lot of sort of sophisticated tools in between and, and people who are now coming out and bringing their audio engineering skills to more diverse populations. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting to see what's happening right now, but I think it's also going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks and months as a result of those factors that you're talking about. I mean, even people, you know, even the types of actions and shifts you're seeing on things like TikTok, which was exploding before the lockdown, but then all of a sudden you see this family version of TikTok because everybody's stuck at home together um, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and start to see like people are actually now treating that as a marketing platform. How do you get a TikTok dance? You know, like what I, I'm on an artist manager's forum on a social media platform and, and there are people who are talking about, so how do you collaborate with dancer influencers on TikTok to get your music to, to, to take, uh, you know, to, to get some more traction. And you have companies like chart metrics that now released a new chart for, analytics around on TikTok and so forth. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of creativity happening that I don't know that we'll see fully emerge uh, right away. Although I will tell you, there are more releases for indie artists coming out right now. You know, CD Baby's one of our clients, their uh, distribution company for independent artists, and they're seeing a huge uptake, an un unbelievable uptick in terms of how much stuff is getting released right now. Maybe they saw that a lot of the traditional artists were not releasing stuff because their tours got canceled. Maybe they themselves had tours that were canceled and they uh, and they were just like, well, there's no point in waiting until the fall because there's no tour then either. So let's just get the stuff out there. So there, you, you are seeing um, a, an uptick in that aspect of creativity as well. 
Dimitri, it's been great having you on the show. We could possibly talk forever, but I would love to have you back on the show in a few months as to where we've gotten to, if I can get you to join us again. Hey, it's always great to talk with you, Gigi. You know, we, we love uh, collaborating on these things. And, uh, you know, when we could see each other in person, we were hanging out at South by Southwest or other Absolutely. events. Absolutely. Or NAM or other stuff. Yeah. Your, your Amplify music event was awesome. And I've appreciated you. seeing you at the weekly Wednesdays. So um, always glad to do it. I'll be glad to come back. So where can people, you've mentioned several things, best place to find your stuff is to go to Music Tectonics as a starting point? Or where, yeah, we, where should people dig in? We are a two-headed monster. So musictectonics.com is where you'll find our podcast, our conference, our online events, our app, and so forth, app.musictectonics.com if you want to join that community. And then rockpaperscissors.biz, B-I-Z. That's the music tech PR firm um, that I run. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. This has been a great ride. We've enjoyed having you as part of our Innovating Music family. Please stay tuned for my next podcast, which will be Creative Innovators, and you can find us at creativeinnovatorspodcast.com. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.